You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy game day, everybody. It's been a while since the Rockets have had a home game, but they are in Houston, set to take on the Sacramento Kings at Toyota Center tonight. If you're going to the game, please stay tuned to the traffic maps. This entire week, they have four games from, well, this Tuesday until next Tuesday, but there's tons of street closures with the Super Bowl going on. Lots of routes that people normally take or parking lots are now being used for Super Bowl stuff, so please give yourself some extra time. But assuming you can get to Toyota Center, it should be a very fun atmosphere, the likes of which we haven't seen in a couple of weeks because the Rockets have been on a brutal five-game road trip over the past nine days or so. On that note, welcome in to a game day episode of Locked on Rockets, the only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose. When the Rockets take on the Kings tonight, we will have a bit of our usual coverage, post-game show, that kind of stuff here on Locked on Rockets. But for today, to get ready for the game, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I just got done hosting a simulcast with Robert Land. If you don't know Robert, he's on Twitter as HST Podcast. That's the Houston Sports Talk Podcast. He hosts that, talking about all sorts of Houston sports. He's also the host of Locked On Texans, which is the daily uh, NFL show about the Houston Texans on this same Locked On Podcast Network. Robert's a great resource, not just about the Texans, but all of Houston sports. He's got lots of great takes on the Rockets. So with the Texans done and his schedule freeing up a little bit, I thought it was a good time to kind of have a dual show to where me and him can banter back and forth a little bit about the Rockets. And, well, there's lots to talk about because they have lost seven of their last 11 games. Now, to be fair, the Rockets are still 35-16, and 16, number three in the Western Conference. So it's not all bad. But certainly the last two weeks have not been ideal. There's lots of questions that people want answers on. And so rather than me just tell you my take, which I do on a regular basis on this show, figured that hearing from Robert might be a good idea as well. So without further ado, I'm going to roll back my conversation with Robert from just a little while ago. Time for a little simulcast. I'm Robert Land with Houston Sports Talk. And here with my Locked On colleague at Locked On Rockets, Ben DuBose, uh, you guys know me partially from Locked On Texans, but uh, we talk a little bit of Rockets. And uh, Ben, I just wondered, is it time for me to hit the panic button a little bit? The Rockets are uh, struggling a lot right now. Where are you on your level of panic from 1 to 10 maybe at this point? <laughs> I'm still about a 3 or a 4, but I'm aware that the time for actually getting to panic mode, it's getting a lot closer. Because right now, it's very understandable why they're struggling. Some of the possible reasons, the fatigue, the dead legs, integrating Anderson and Gordon, and then, of course, the heavy workload that guys like Harden, Ariza, Beverly took in their absence. But that can only play to a point. Like I said, I get it now, and then 17 games in January, the game in Indiana was the fifth of a five-game road trip. All that stuff is completely valid. But now you're pretty much completely back including Gordon and Capella. They're home for six of the next seven, and none of them are against true contenders. So I'm not overly concerned at the moment, but if you don't see the Rockets not just win games, but win games by healthy margins in the next couple of weeks, then, yeah, I will be. So I will say still about a four on the concern meter, but I'm much closer to rationing it up 
than I was a week or so ago. Yeah, we've started to see some of the defensive deficiencies over the last month or so. But, Ben, I, I always feel like that has a lot to do with when the Rockets make shots, it's much easier to set up on defense. You know, for the Rockets against the opposing team, that makes your defense better. And Eric Gordon has either been out of the lineup or he's been shooting poorly. And Eric Gordon, to me, I don't know what you think, of all the things that have happened this season, and I I get it, Mike D'Antoni putting James Harden at point guard and what James Harden has done this season has all been fantastic, but I think Eric Gordon is the most important player on the Rockets not named James Harden. Yeah, I would agree. People have asked me on my show, who do I think is the second most important player for the Rockets? I would say that Ariza might be the second most valuable player because when he's best, the totality of his minutes, his defensive impact – But Gordon is the second most important because his skill set is so difficult to replicate. I mean, worst case, even if Ariza were to go out, you could find some more defense, be it further down on your bench or making a trade elsewhere. It's so tough to find the combination of shooter and creator because really what makes Gordon special is that it's both. He can play alongside Harden in the shooting role, and he could also, when Harden's out the first minutes of the second and fourth quarters, play as a creator. So playing without him... I think that really hurts them. I think there's some validity to the perspective that, well, if they don't make shots, it takes a toll on defense. I think the bigger picture thing, what I question is, how much is the league making adjustments and how much are these factors such as the injury absences as well as fatigue for guys like Ariza and Beverly? And that's where I'm kind of 50-50. I do think fatigue is a little bit of an issue. However, I do think there are some adjustments that the league has made to them um, in terms of attacking the paint harder than ever. And it's just on the Rockets to be able to adjust over the next couple of weeks. One thing I will say is that I do think it's easier to adjust and get into a rhythm when you're playing at home. You could have a practice every other day as opposed to when you're in the middle of a five-game road trip and it's just game, plane flight, try and sleep, another game. It's easier to try and at least implement these changes when you're at home for a week or so. James Harden has had a bad stretch of turnovers, and I just want to talk through a theory that I have with you as far as that goes. And and James Harden has said, and this was really interesting, and I don't know how many people caught this, and I can't remember if you've talked about it on Locked on Rockets, but he said with those passes that he throws, you know, way down the court where he's trying to make those quick, easy buckets, the fast break style baskets that he tries, he says he does that. And he does it because he wants those guys to – he wants to encourage those guys to get out on the fast break and run. And he feels like even if it's not successful, he feels like that uh, encourages them to get out there and do that and keep doing that. But I think where I lose him on that is the first month or two you do it and it it does that. But at some point, I think the players understand if they're open and, and it's possible for him to do that, that's fine. I'm at the point in the season where I go, yeah, they know that he's going to throw them the ball if they're open, but if there are three guys back there and he's trying to pinpoint a pass that, you know, a Dan Marino or a Magic Johnson or whoever, whatever great passer in sports history couldn't make, even if they wanted to, you know, you just can't, you can't continue to do that. Yeah, I would agree. I haven't talked about that on Locked on Rockets, but I did see the quote And I think another element that he didn't say, but I think plays into this, is that early in the year through, I'd say, the end of December, when their margin of victory was just enormous, and if they were playing another team, they'd win by 10-plus if the Rockets were 
you know, ahead of them in the standings. And so I think when you're in that kind of mode, you will experiment with that kind of thing because the downside risk isn't really that much. You know that you could just flip the switch. And even if you lose a possession here or there in a game, then it's not the end of the world because you're good enough to overcome it. Well, now I think there's a difference. And I don't think the Rockets have fully adjusted in that right now they just need to grind and survive. And one of the things that I said after that win in Philadelphia on Friday, yeah, it was really fun to see Harden go 51, 13, and 13. But they barely won a game on the road against a Philly team. I know they have a good record in January, but they're still not really that good. And right now, it's understandable why. We've gone through the injuries, the fatigue issues. We know all of that. But from an approach standpoint, the Rockets aren't good enough to really flip the switch right now. They might get to that point eventually. But at this point, yeah, they can't take the liberties in terms of, you know, the flashy play. I know exactly what you're talking about, that full court pass that may have a 25% chance of working, but if it does, you know, it's really brilliant and gets you a cheap too. You can do that stuff if you're playing the Lakers and Kings and beating them by 25, 30 points at home. Yeah, you can do that and try to coach your bigs to get up and run the floor. When you're just trying to survive and get through this stretch, you've got to be smarter. And, you know, I, I'm on the fence as to whether the Rockets are doing that. To some extent they are, but then you see quotes, well, not a quote, but the aftermath of the Boston game the other night, one of the reporters that was in there said that he was really struck by how little the Rockets seemed really bothered. They weren't panicking. And in a sense, that's good because you don't want them to panic. You don't want them to do anything stupid and think this is the end of the world. Their record shows they're a good team, and so they should have confidence. But there's a fine line. You don't want to be too confident to where you try things like that. Because right now, for a lot of reasons, it's a tough stretch, and the Rockets just try need to try to – grind out a few wins and hopefully build back continuity now that the roster is finally back in place. Yeah, I've got one other thing on Harden and I don't I don't mean to pick on him because we, he's having a great season and he's just a guy that I, I think there are things that I expect more from him because he is great. So another theory that I have, he's shooting about I think it's maybe 33% from 3 right now, he, but roughly in his career he's a 33 34% three-point shooter Mm. and the Rockets overall philosophy is you know the three-point shot and 33 percent they equate to 50 percent from two which I understand but what I also understand is if you're hitting 33 percent as opposed to if James Harden moves in a little bit more often and and tries a 16 or an 18 footer um, when it's available then and he shoots that percentage a little bit more maybe 10 percent higher it's less shots that you're missing, and the more shots that you miss, the more chances the other team has a chance to get a better shot at the other end. What makes the defense better is when they've got to take the ball out of the basket, and and that might be a complaint of mine. I think that James Harden settles for the three-point shot way too often. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I had Brian Geltseiler on my show the other day. He's the hoops critic on Twitter, and he talked about that very thing which is that really defenses are playing the Rockets to shoot the three more than ever before. And there's value in simple. You're not going to be able to get to the rim. It's just not that easy in this league. But there's value in shooting a 16 to 18 footer just to keep the defense honest. Number one, hopefully you'll make a few more of them because if they're shading you hard at the three-point line, you should be able to get an open 16 to 18 footer. And that's a shot we have seen James Harden make. But beyond that, it's important to keep the defense honest, respect the full floor, Right now, it doesn't feel like they're doing that. It feels like defenses are playing the Rockets either to drive to the hole or to take that three. And there are games 
the Boston game is a perfect example, and I really got bothered by James in that game, where I think he was 6 of 18, really struggled to get going, and actually the only reason he was 6 of 18, he had a few shots late. But 11 of the 18 shots were from behind the arc, and of course he was 2 for 11. So that really bothers me. If you're really struggling to score, I don't think 11 of your 18 shots should be threes. Now, in his defense a little bit, you know, he goes inside and gets fouled. That doesn't count as a free throw attempt. I'll allow that to an extent, but still there should be some more mid-range shots if you're shooting two of 11 from behind the arc. Capella has not come back really strong yet, and he seems to be a guy, and it reminds me of Yao a little bit. When Yao would start a season or Yao would come back from an injury, it would take him a while to get going, to get in rhythm. His quickness would take longer to come back because of his size. You know, there's a lot more moving parts there. Is that what you're seeing from Capella? Indirectly, yes. I think in a different way, but Absolutely, it takes him more time. Physically, I think this is where he and Yao are different. It would, I agree with you, take Yao a little bit more time to get his quickness back, his burst. Physically, I do think Clint Capella is there. Where I see Clint struggling is on the middle end. You watch when there's a switch or any kind of action unorthodox on the part of the opposing team, and it just seems like he is a step slow, not physically, but mentally, in picking up stuff. And it reminds me of the very beginning of the year in late October and early November. If you go back and watch some of those tapes, and especially if you look at the plus minus, you know, he would look the party at a lot of really strong games from a field goal shooting perspective. And in terms of, um, you know, just looking the part, playing the lob game, the pick and rolls with James. But the plus minus was not always there because, well, he wasn't rotating. He wasn't doing his assignments. And then in late November, Early December, he improved dramatically. I wouldn't say he was an elite rim protector, but he was pretty good. He became an important part of what the Rockets were doing defensively in December when they were very good on that end. And now, ever since he came back, it feels like it's basically been a reset for him, and he's just not there. Offensively, and just in terms of his athleticism, I do think he's back. You see the burst. He you know, he worked hard on his rehab. I don't think it's like Yao and that he's physically still struggling. I think it's just mentally, for whatever reason, it takes him a little longer. And in that perspective, you're right. I don't think he's all the way back. Is there any reason that you think that, or any reason to believe that KJ McDaniel is going to be a rocket after the trade deadline? It seems like they just don't have any confidence in him. And the money that he makes is one of those perfect contracts to trade. Yeah, I would be floored if, he's a rocket beyond the trade deadline because he's the easiest one to move either he or Brewer and Brewer's played so poorly. It's hard to see a team being willing to take on his $8 million salary guaranteed for next year without the Rockets, you know, having to basically shed an asset to, uh, to get rid of him. And I don't think they want to do that. Yeah. This past week was really the nail in the coffin in terms of KJ ever having a role in Houston, because if Eric Gordon missing four games, two a couple of weeks ago, and then two this past week with the back struggles, if that and the Rockets playing 17 games in January, five games in a week, uh, five-game road trip, I should say, a little over a week, but same difference. If all those factors aren't enough for KJ to get even a sniff, you know, one of those road games, when you come out slow out of the gate, like in Boston, like in Indiana on Sunday, if all of that isn't enough for KJ to even get just an experimental three- or four-minute run that tells you that, well, Mike D'Antoni does not like what he's seeing in practice, and I just don't know why you keep him. Because after this year, I don't know what trade value he has. First off, his trade value is depreciating already because, well, 
at, at some point he's got to show it and he's at the age now where if he hasn't shown it by now teams are going to get a little bit suspicious but beyond that at least if a team trades for him at the deadline this year you do have him under contract for one more year at a very reasonable rate about you know three and a half million and you can say hey maybe if we're a developing team we can let this guy play the last two months of 2017 and then see if he catches catches fire and develops over the summer and you have a rotation player next year if you hold him into the summer and beyond not having that contract more than one year you're not really going to have him be any sort of asset so right now he's not a great asset but at least he could be a little bit intriguing for you know a younger team but uh yeah for all those reasons i think it's pretty clear he's not a rocket beyond two or three more weeks well before i end this podcast with kevin hart coming over to shake your hand Ben, um, I want to ask you about uh, Trevor Ariza because this is something that's always baffled me. And maybe you can tell me why can't this be fixed at all? Trevor Ariza is such a terrible finisher when he drives to the basket. What what can you do with that guy? Is is there something that somebody could teach him about being able to finish around the basket? Because it seems inevitably his shot gets blocked. He never he never draws the foul. Uh, he, he sometimes is scary when he's trying to pass the ball when he gets close to the basket. It always makes me panic a little bit when Trevor Ariza drives to the basket like, oh, no, what could happen? What could go wrong? Yeah, and I think a lot of it is just the lack of explosion. You have a lot of guys like that, but you just, you know, you count on them to try and throw it down in traffic because not everyone is good at making a tough shot in traffic against a, you know, a, a big man contesting. And so – what you ask them to dunk it because that's the way around getting in that situation. And I just think with the role that he's been put in, he's the one guy that hasn't missed time. Even when he had the back troubles, the back spasms where he could barely walk in Denver, he never missed a game. And that's admirable. That's why the Rockets were able to build up so many wins early on, get off to that 31-9 and nine start. But in January, you've seen kind of a decline in Trevor across the board. That certainly has not been good. But you also look at the defense defensive decline he's not keeping guys in front of him the way he did before the shooting is not quite there he'll have nights where he gets hot but by and large he has slumped from the field as well and really the only thing i can tell you i think in an ideal world you cap him at about 30 to 32 minutes a night that's just something the rockets can't do right now because you know even when eric gordon is playing you still have Corey brewer in your rotation that's how much they don't trust kj mcdaniels and unless Corey Brewer is making shots, you've got to cap him at 12 to 15 minutes. And there's just no way the Rockets can play against a competent opponent without stretching Ariza for 35-plus minutes most nights. And, and yeah, he's not fluid around the rim. I don't think at his age you can really teach that at this point. You can just like him to have more energy and just tell him, look, dunk it every time. Go hard. But right now, with what they're asking him to do, it's just a little too much. And, yeah, big picture. Hopefully being at home will help. But really, I think the only way you even start to get traction on that is you acquire one more wing player at the deadline and hopefully curtail his minutes a little bit. Because at this point in his career, I don't think, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I don't think Trevor's going to become something he's not, unfortunately, at this point. The one thing you can say about Trevor, Ben, is we've seen this now with Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson and Patrick Beverly and Nene, but Trevor Reza 
plays every night, it seems like, and he gives you 40 minutes, and it's amazing. It's like what James Harden is able to do. But I think, you know, James Harden, it feels like sometimes takes possessions off defensively, even though he's been better. But Trevor Ariza, you don't see as much taking off of possessions with Trevor Ariza. I think that's pretty amazing what Ariza does, and it goes underappreciated sometimes, I think. Yeah, I absolutely do. It's amazing how much he gets taken for granted. I've had guys tell me lately, oh, has Ariza been a net negative? Because he's been, I would say, below average in January, and a lot of that's the mileage. But people just forget how good he was the first two months of the year. And I think because he never took time off, even when he had the severe back spasms and never missed a game, you know, he's out there playing 38, 40 minutes every night. And people just take that for granted. No one gives him his due. As I said earlier, I think Gordon is the second most important player because his skill set is so difficult to replicate. But Ariza is the second most valuable player because his contributions over the course of the year have just been that much. And, yeah, you have seen a little bit of a decline lately. I think he's still playing hard. It's just a lot of nights the legs aren't there and he can't keep guys in front of him the way he could when he's really fresh. And so that goes back to what we were saying a minute ago. You know, ideally you would have one more wing player in that rotation you could trust. Unfortunately, it's not going to be KJ McDaniels. And that way you could keep Ariza's minutes down. But, yeah, the fact that even with tired legs, even with the back spasms and everything else, the fact that he is a true pro and willing to gut it out, never miss a game, that's huge. Because, as I've said on my show, the Rockets pretty clearly only have 10 players that they trust. And it's really like nine players because the 10 players that they trust, three of them are centers. So, really, when you look at the guards, right now the Rockets have only three guards they can trust. They're primarily using Sam Decker as a power forward. So, really, at small forwards, you have Trevor Ariza and Corey Brewer, who really counts as half a player when you factor in his rotation impact and how poorly he's played for the better part of this year. So, the fact that you never have to worry about Trevor Ariza, that no matter what, you can count on him to fill those minutes, there's a ton of value in that. Just the predictability and that you know you can have them to go eat up those minutes every night. That's huge, and he absolutely gets underrated. Now, a lot of Rockets fans are upset with him. They're right. His, his play this past month has regressed, but it's not really about Trevor. It's about the other stuff going on with this team. And so, yeah, Trevor's the last guy I would blame. It's more fix the other things. And then if you do that, I think you'll start to see the same version of Trevor that we saw in November and December. Should the Rockets equipment manager, should he throw away Ryan Anderson's home warm-ups and make him wear his road warm-ups <laughs> at home and should fans boo him at the Toyota Center? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to say they should boo him because I don't think Ryan has quite the name notoriety to get booed on the road. But yeah, they've got to start uh, doing something differently, even if it's just kidding around to get him in the flow at home. Because I think some of this becomes, I, I think some of it is just mental at this point. Because he starts sluggish. Ryan's a guy who it seems like in the first and third quarters, I won't say it determines how he's going to play for an entire game, because certainly we've seen him have sluggish first halves and then come out in the third quarter with a burst. But it seems like at least for the half, he's a guy who you can tell the kind of half he's going to have based on the opening minutes of the first and third quarters. That's when he's really valuable because you know I'll buy that it takes some of the athletes, even James Harden, a little bit of time to kind of get into the flow, feel out the game. His shooting is something that's always there. So he's particularly valuable early in quarters when you can get the offense going. And, yeah, you just have to hope that when you have a couple of games and they have six of seven at home, so they're going to be opportunities, reward him. Pat him on the back. If you're the fans, sure like hell, 
make him notice that this is going well for him when it does, because he's not going to have a terrible homestand. They've got four in a row coming up. There are going to be moments and just, you know, just remind him that, hey, this is, it's the same 10-foot net. It's the same rim. It's the same everything else. I mean, it's just a, a ball, a hoop, and a basket. It's go out there, do your thing, and when it goes well in Houston, cheer him on, let him know it's going well, and I think it's just one of those quirky little funks that players can get into mentally, and within a few games, I think it'll even out. It almost has to. He's too good of a shooter for it to last an entire year. Hashtag Road Ryan for all of you people yes. on Twitter. <laughs> the, the Road Ryan thing has taken off. Hey, uh, Ben, uh, just a, a couple of things. I, I want to congratulate you. Uh, you had Daryl Morey on your show, and ESPN and Doris Burke mentioned that. We've talked about it on Locked On Texans. It's it's just a really amazing thing, the Locked On Network taking off a lot. And I uh, just want to remind your listeners, if you if you haven't checked out Locked On Texans, I really encourage a couple of recent interviews I had last week, talked to Sage Rosenfels, and we talked about the Rosencopter and Matt Schaub and Andre Johnson and his days in Houston. That was a lot of fun. And then – I'm going to have one that should be up by the time you guys hear this on Tuesday with Mickey Herskowitz, who talks about covering that first Super Bowl in Houston at Rice Stadium. And one of the real amazing things that he told me, and I didn't even know this until we started getting into the discussion, but he actually worked for the NFL office, for the league office, for the first Super Bowl, the very first Super Bowl. I didn't realize that either. But, yeah, Mickey's a great resource for all things Houston sports. And, yeah, there's lots of interesting stuff going on with the Texans. I know during the year, for a lot of fans in Houston, it got to be a little bit of a drag because, well, at some point with Brock Osweiler, you knew what the end game was going to be, and it just felt like they were kind of spinning their wheels. Did win a playoff game, which was nice. But, yeah, this offseason is going to be really interesting. For starters, you've got Mike Vrabel as a defensive coordinator now, and they found an innovative way to keep Romeo on staff. They, what, they added Wes Welker as an offensive assistant today. That's a really interesting move. And then, of course, you're going to have really the next month nonstop discussion about what can they do at the quarterback position other than, you know, just give Osweiler 2017 because of his contract. So, yeah, if you guys haven't checked out Locked on Texans yet, I strongly encourage you to do so because, well, Robert has great interviews like Mickey, but also the Texans, this is the more interesting time of the year. I get why a lot of you were down and didn't want to talk about the Texans during the season. I was right with you. But the past, the next month or so, there's actual hope. There are new things they're doing with the coaching staff, and there are moves they can make this offseason to actually address the elephant in the room, which is the quarterback position. I know they haven't really earned your trust yet, but yeah, there's a lot of potential upside, and when you see how good the team is, except for the quarterback position, that's enough for me as a Houston sports fan to at least give them a shot. Yeah, you're talking about the team that's won four out of the last six division championships. There's no problem here, Ben. It's AFC all, all... South champions, Robert. <laughs> Let me stop you. AFC South champions, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ben, thanks so much for doing this. Lo- love it. Sure thing. That's Robert Land, Houston Sports Talk host, Locked on Texans host. We were saying lots of things going on in the Texans over the last month or so, so if you haven't checked out his show, please do so. In terms of his comments on the Rockets, I thought he was generally spot on. First and foremost, if you're a Locked on Rockets listener, you know that I agree with him wholeheartedly on Clint Capella. It does seem like it takes him a little while to get back up to speed, maybe not physically, but especially on the mental side of the game. I thought his comments on Eric Gordon and Trevor Ariza were spot on as well in terms of their value and importance to the team. 
where he really made me think the part of the conversation that I really enjoyed was about James Harden and the turnovers. Because I had seen the comment, I hadn't really thought about it, about Harden throwing some of those high-risk passes length of the court to try and encourage the bigs and other guys on Houston to run. That's interesting to me because, first off, I do think Robert's right. At some point, yes, the bigs do know that Harden's going to find them. You don't have to do that for 82 games. But beyond that, I do think that feeds into kind of what we've seen. I don't want to say arrogance because that has a negative connotation. I'll just say confidence. And to, to a point that's good, that the Rockets are not panicking, that they know they're good, that they know when they're healthy, when the schedule evens out, that they're going to be fine. But... I do think right now, with the schedule the way it is and the recent injuries, you can be a little too confident. You can take too many risks, and you can try some of those risks. If you're playing the Lakers in December and you're winning by 35 or 40, you can experiment with that kind of stuff. Experiment's probably the right word. Whereas now, the Rockets just need to get wins any way they can, because I don't think they're just going to flip the switch and then one night going to be the exact same team they were a month ago. It's just about grinding out wins now, getting the likes of Clint Capella, Ryan Anderson, and Eric Gordon back in the rotation, comfortable in their roles again, and eventually, with more rust, with more continuity, that team will come back. But for now, it's just about grinding, getting wins. The good news is that, well, all the teams this week, the Kings, the Hawks, the Bulls, these are beatable opponents, but none of them are so bad that the Rockets can just show up and say, well, they're going to beat this team so we could mess around. I think at this point, there does need to be a little bit more care for the little things. Just get the wins, however they come, even if they're close, it doesn't matter. Just start peeling off the wins again and worry about being the perfect team, the team that can challenge the Warriors or the Spurs back in a few weeks when things really get rolling again, when they're rested. Maybe you get a couple more depth moves at the deadline, that sort of thing. For now, just survive in advance, get the wins, and hopefully that starts tonight against the Sacramento Kings. So for now, I will wrap up there and get ready to head over to Toyota Center. They're going to have shoot-around later this morning. And then, of course, tip time is 7 p.m. tonight at Toyota Center. As I said leading off, please give yourself more time to get down there. The traffic, the parking lots, the walkways, a lot of the ways a lot of you guys are used to getting to Toyota Center are going to be used up for the Super Bowl. Pretty much, it should impact everybody unless you have a pass to get into the, the uh, Toyota Center garage. And even if you do, traffic is still going to be a lot more problematic than you're probably used to. So please give yourself more time all week long. I know from talking to the Rockets, there are a lot of people concerned that the fans have not really uh, gotten the memo. Because especially on weeknights, we all know what Houston traffic is like. The early first quarters are kind of empty anyway because people are just trying to file into the arena with the 7 p.m. tip and the fact that rush hour doesn't really end until about 7 or so. And now you throw in all the Super Bowl and that chaos. So, yeah, if you don't plan ahead, there's a chance you might not make it until midway through the second quarter because it's going to be very problematic. So I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but I just want to stress just how important it is. If you're going down to Toyota Center, please get there early because this is going to be a hectic week. It should be a lot of fun because I think you're going to see a lot of celebrities, a lot of people in town for the Super Bowl that are also going to these games. Thursday night especially, that's the Dwight Howard reunion game with the Atlanta Hawks. I think you'll see a lot of people from the Atlanta community, including probably the Falcons themselves, that take in a game because, well, there's not a lot going on Thursday before the Super Bowl other than practices. So you might as well go out and see your hometown team. So, yeah, these games are going to be fun. They should be pretty packed. Houston's going to be absolutely lit this week. Just, yeah, if you're going down there, please leave yourself some extra time so that Toyota Center can be the advantage we know it can be when it's actually full and when the lower bowl isn't just filled with empty seats because people are still 
fighting traffic and trying to find a place to park and get in the arena. Anyway, I've said my piece on that, so I'll wrap up. Again, appreciate all of you guys for tuning in and listening to us on a daily basis because here at Locked on Rockets, we are the only daily podcast covering your Houston Rockets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Rockets. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Audio Boom. Just search for Locked on Rockets. We're part of the Locked on Podcast Network where you can also find shows like Locked on Texans hosted by my colleague Robert Land, who you heard from on the show today. You can follow them on Twitter at Locked on Texans or Robert at HST Podcast. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter simply at Ben Dubose. Final housekeeping note, our email address is LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me if you've got questions about the team, suggestions for the show, or if you'd like to inquire about becoming a potential sponsor, because we have lots of very good rates. In terms of listening, this is a show that's doing very well. Thanks to you guys, we're getting close to 10,000 listens every week. So if you've got a product that you want to advertise, especially to the 18 to 54 male demographic, which we have huge numbers of, please reach out to me at LockedOnRockets at gmail.com because sponsors are a big part of why I'm able to continue bringing this to you guys on a daily basis. And just as you can help us, we can potentially help you, especially if you're targeting that 18 to 54 male demographic because we have got a lot of those lessons here on the show and studies show that, well, listeners really prefer to buy pod, uh, products that are promoted on their favorite podcast. So again, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Just reach out to me if you have any interest. For now, time to get ready for shoot-around later this morning, and then, well, it's game day, so 7 p.m. tonight, Rockets and Kings, first home game in 11 days at Toyota Center, so we'll have plenty to talk about, both on Twitter, at Ben Dubos, at Lockdown Rockets, and then, of course, here on Lockdown Rockets, wherever you listen to us, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc., we'll be with you following the game tonight with a recap as the Rockets, now 35-16, and 16, hopefully get back to winning ways with a four-game homestand starting with the Kings tonight. Talk to you guys then.